0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when you speak against so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Uh, Welcome to Grace and Peace Church. If I haven't met you, I'm Vincent Hoppy. I would love to meet you. Uh, Let you know more about what we do as a church. we are going through, currently, a series on politics, and you're probably wondering why, but it is because every one of your YouTube ads and every one of your uh, ads on the radio is about something political in this time. And Our point right now is not, and the point at Grace and Peace, is not to tell you who to vote for. But our point, because this is the point of the word, is to tell you, How you are to live, shaped by the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross. How you are to be, what type of person are you to be in this moment of high political angst and divisiveness? How are you to act? I can tell you right now, if you think that my goal is to throw one political party under the bus and watch the wheels roll, you got it wrong. And if you thought that i have done that in the past two sermons, then maybe we'll get it right today. But we're back at First Peter 2, verses 11 through 17, and I was watching a French film because, of course, what else do nerds do but watch French films? And so the film is of gods and men. And there's a group of French monks who are living out in Algeria amongst, uh, in, amongst a, a group in the rural side with, other, with Muslims who are in the area. And so there's a lot of civil unrest, and that civil unrest and governmental unrest has allowed uh, radical Muslims to kind of get a foothold in the country, and then they are now taking over a town over the monks have spent their time caring for this local community, especially the the Muslims who live in the area, by providing for their physical needs, giving them things like clothing and food and at times shelter, giving them shoes. They run a small health clinic even. And they learn that they're coming. These radicals are gonna come and that they're probably going to kill them. In kind of this pivotal scene when they have to decide whether or not they are going to flee and exit in pessimism, or if they are going to stay and remain there in optimism, this is what one monk says. He says, we are all like birds on a branch of a tree, uncertain as to whether or not we will fly away or stay. But then, a woman from the village corrects him. And I think this is what Peter would say to us. You are the tree. We are the birds. If you leave, we lose our footing. You see, the life of Christian community and the life of the communities are interwoven and linked. As it would go for the monks, it would go for the, those people if they were to leave, then the whole town would lose its footing. The woman suggested, and it invokes the image of Psalm one. In Psalm one, it talks about a tree planted by water is a godly person and godly people. That there, it doesn't depend on the season, but rather there are no circumstance can change the fact that it will bring fruit in its season when it is and it always has leaves so that it will always give shade when the heat of the desert is out. And Peter is writing when the sun is beating down on his people. It is not going good. Where They're living in a pre-Christian world. It is a world that is starving and hungering for good fruit. The sea of people who live godly lives. Many people at that time, they didn't get Christians. They saw Christians, and they're like, all right, they're weird, okay? They call each other brother and sister, yet they intermarry. That's odd. And then they have uh, something they, they would call a... Uh, a they, 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 many people thought it was cannibalism because we believe that the presence of the Lord was in the Lord's Supper. They would say, like, we eat His flesh and drink His blood. And people are like, okay, that's weird, okay? And it isn't too dissimilar similar to our age now. The Son of deceit, of persecution, and a growing intolerance is happening. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's any kind of state-sponsored persecution going on, but you are liable if you are a Christian to be thought of as some sort of backwater bigot or idiot nowadays if you hold Christian beliefs, especially if you continue to hold Christianity's view about the exclusivity of Jesus. Or, if you hold to the Bible sexual ethics, people are going to say, You're, you're backwaters. you're weird. And some of that hostility, though, has been self inflicted because the church and Christianity, we confuse. We can be confused for one political side or the other. You see, God's kingdom, and what Peter is saying, is, is that we're, kind of, we're different, we're a different, distinct people. And we can't be identified with one political party or the other. And so the main point here is that being a good Christian and being a good Christian citizen means not being too optimistic about politics and not nor being too pessimistic about politics, but being realistic about politics. Knowing the limits and, and kind of the boundaries of politics. So not too optimistic. Not too pessimistic, but being realistic, meaning God can work through the current order of the world. He can work through a political regime, you know. We should pray for them, but they will not be the determinant of factor of how the outcome of the world will be. God has determined how this world will be, and He has determined what the political arrangement will look like. And it depends not on your vote, but rather on His election. Not that we vote for Him, but that He elects us. And that we are then citizens in His kingdom. And we are ushering in a kingdom come. One that is now and not yet. But we see that God can work through this way of the world now to restrain sin be for the good of other people, but we are a people who are chosen for a far better country, <laughs> and that catalogical country, which means a true uh, revealing of the way things are going to be. So therefore, because we are those kinds of citizens, we're to be aliens and citizens, or er, sojourners in this time, meaning this isn't our home the way that it is now. You make yourself too much at home, and you're liable to be confused with one political party or another. Because of this reality for a Christian to be a good citizen, we can't be too optimistic about our home now, nor can we be too pessimistic about our home now. But if we find ourselves not at home at either, we must realize that that we, like C.S. Lewis says, are meant for a different one. That this world maybe isn't our home, but God is bringing our home in Jesus Christ. And that we find our home in Him, and his kingdom does not accord necessarily with the politics of one side or another. And it definitely doesn't play the tit-for-tat. And it doesn't play with the power, money, and fame that these political parties decide to play with in order to use and coerce people to get what they want. And so we can't be too optimistic. Here Peter pleads with his listeners not to be too comfortable with this work. They're to live as sojourners and aliens. And therefore, they are not to reflect the ways of this age. There to be different people. There to be like a pilgrim headed for a better country. He says this, but I could find it this time. Uh, I do my study in another Bible, and then I preach from this Bible, which is problematic. Because I remember things, and I go and look over on one side of the Bible, and am like, it's not there. All of a sudden, God's Word has changed. What is going on? Because I'm having a panic moment in my head, but then I, you know, realize, oh, no, it's just over here. Anyway, so, and he says this. Live as sojourners in Ailey, exile. And, he, and how are we to do this? And that is to abstain from passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. The conscience of the flesh doesn't necessarily mean uh, uh, just kind of like, most people are like, oh, it means like, Sexual things. Yeah, sure, if you're always looking and thinking about sexual things, then uh, absolutely, the news must mean that. But what it means is this, do not give in to the appetites of the way of the world or the spirit of the age in which you find it. Now, if you were to turn on Fox News, CNN, NBC, MSNBC, NPR, OAN, uh, or Huffington Post, or Vice, you're bo- bound to find people waging polemic according to the way of the world. He says, don't be like that. And so he's telling you, don't be too optimistic about the way that the world is doing. In fact, you're to be a counterfultural for a witness. Why? Because it isn't about gaining political power in the Christian world. Rather, it's about giving power away. It is about sa- sacrificing, submission to other people for their good. So don't be too optimistic. You see? And don't be too optimistic of what the state can do for you. Being good is not to leverage the state into your corner so that they do everything you want, nor is it to get uh, into their good graces of the state. But rather, it is to be done for God's glory, in order that the Gentiles may see uh, see and glorify God. And they're to do it by good deeds not, the, not according to the ways of the flesh. And so what would the good deeds be? Very much we would think about it in these terms. If you think about the relationships in your home, it means that you treat your child not with contempt and bitterness, but you look at your child and then you, you do with kindness, mercy, love, and fairness. You submit yourself to their needs and you sacrifice so that they may grow up and be good godly citizens through your discipleship. That's one way. Another way in which you can live in this world and bring about good deeds is that you can go to work and do good work. Death one for doing good work is showing up on time. You see, it is the manner in which we live our lives that this world is transformed that we will see thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and not our kingdom come, and our will be done. Because otherwise, if it is our kingdom come, and our will be done, do you know how you get that? You get that through power, fame, and money. So you can coerce people into getting what you want. But Peter is saying, no. That is not the way you're to be. You're a sojourner in exile. Do not make yourself by using the ways of this world. Ultimately, your vote won't save you. No political party can make this world into what we most hope for, and no political party can absolutely destroy it. We know what is going to happen in the end. We know that there will be a kingdom come because Jesus Christ is the true king and He says He is coming. And it also says that every knee shall bow and every knee, every voice will declare that He is Lord. So no political party could possibly be our Savior. Because like the person you see in the mirror, every political party, and every person is sinful, is flawed every political platform and policies are made by flawed people. They can't please everybody. They are not total. They are not sovereign. And so these are all decided by sinful people. You put your hope in a sinful system, and you will be disappointed. Go ahead. Put all your hope uh, into the next person that is going to... uh, uh, contact you on a dating app. okay? Put all your hope, and I will sh- assure you that that person will disappoint you probably on the first date unless you're completely love-blind. And so, what did he say? Keep or guard your conduct amongst the Gentiles and you do it by good deeds so that they may glorify God. So integrity matters. Being duplicitous is not going to bode well. But the problem is this. We all have this temptation to confuse politics with the kingdom. And it's age-old, okay? And Jesus wasn't like immune to this. People, people did this to Jesus. And so Jesus is walking with two guys who don't understand that they're walking with Jesus, and they're talking about what Jesus had done, trying to inform Jesus about what was happening in Jerusalem in Luke 24, okay? Jesus is going there like, tell me more. And they said this. They said, and we had hope that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Meaning that they hoped that his politics would save them from those dirty, stinking Romans. But he didn't do that. Why? Because it's his kingdom, not their kingdom. And then he informs them of the greater truth that he is doing in the work of his kingdom. It does not come through political power by kicking out the dirty Romans, but rather he is going to outlast them and transform them so that one day this earth, through Christ, in his ushering, in his coming, it will be his kingdom come and his will be done. This also happens in John 18. Pontius Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And he says... It is as you say, but my kingdom is not of this world, to which everyone is in their head. Everyone confuses politics with God's kingdom. You see, whenever you are threatened, what do you do? You protect yourself, right? You protect yourself. Christianity says that all your self-defense is a failed salvation project. And here's my assertion. That Christianity during the culture wars Felt like they were their way of life was being under threat, and they went to protect themselves. And, if, and it was a self-righteous, moralistic way that was Christ-denying. Instead, you are to you are saved by the salvation of God in Jesus Christ only. So first, you are to confess that you can't save yourself by your works and your self-protection, no matter how good they are, and believe that Jesus is the only defense in the life that you need. And He changes you from the inside out, so that when you do good, it isn't self-defense, but self-sacrifice for the good of others, and ultimately, the glory of God. So the culture war was this moral crusade to defend our Christian nation. People would contend, but in the end, it looked more like maintaining power and maintaining a culture. And what it did was it fought with the enemy with with the weapons of the enemy. It was according to the passions of the flesh, and it was moralism. Mark more about what it was against. I'm against that and your way of doing things, and you guys, and then it threw other political parties in there, and then what it did was it tried to maintain that by creating these boundaries for moralism. Then it went through never admitting that it could possibly be wrong. Rather, as Christians freed by the Spirit and by the work of God in our lives, do you know what we're to be like? We're to freely confess that we've messed up. But the culture war could never admit you're wrong. And so they fought the war according to power, fame, and money. And it was about coercion. And so we do this on Twitter nowadays still by making fun of the other political party and not with real arguments. Do you know what we do? We settle for straw man arguments. That's whenever you make fun of somebody and you you, you have an easy an easy uh, argument that they have. This is their argument; it's terrible, and you blow it down, of course, because you set the parameters and it's super easy. The other thing that people do is called the ad hominem argument. You know what the ad hominem argument? It means that uh, it gets the body real nerdy. Okay, um, it's Latin, and so it means against the person. And so, what an ad hominem argument is is you call them a name. You know, go on Twitter, like, oh, they're such liberals. I'm all like, okay, you have no argument. You have not changed my mind because you have no argument. So I think 90% of the problem why no one ever changes their mind is because no one has arguments. All they've got is fallacious reasoning. There you go. Philosophy 110 for you. Not even 101. You guys have moved up to the next class. Congratulations. Fallacious reasoning. And so that is the way we reason nowadays, but that is according to the passions of the flesh. So if you're fighting a culture war, you are losing. If you think that the way to preserve this life is to be defensive and to call other people names, you are losing. It is fighting the enemy with their own weapons and only strengthens them. Rather, what Peter says is that we are to honor everybody, to do good, so that even even when they want to dishonor you, they call you evildoers, they're going to realize that they do really good deeds. And so that isn't the way it goes. Politics can't save you. The culture war was weighed for the purpose of coercion, and Christianity is about true life change. Jesus changes you. He doesn't coerce you. Notice it says that we are to be servants, that we are to make ourselves servants as, for, to Christ. Politics is often about coercing you. Hence, the arguments are always, they try to shame you, they name-call you. But in the end, you're, you will only find yourself bowing to another master. You go that route idolatry. The right makes a god out of the economy. The left makes a god out of the state. The economy will fail you. The state will sacrifice you. Only Jesus dies for you. Put your hope into any one created thing. You will be jaded. Be too optimistic about this election. They're like, with this in the next four years, Everything, all my wildest dreams will come true because I voted for Pedro. No, that isn't the way it's going to go. Don't be too optimistic, Peter says. Live as sojourners and aliens headed for a better kingdom, even better than America. And so therefore, we don't have to also be too pessimistic. It says be subject or subject yourselves or subject with regard to yourselves for the Lord's sake to the emperor and governors. Um, I just took you into, like, Greek 2 uh, in the uses of the passive. Anyway, so, totally nerdy reference there. And so, it, so it, so it basically just, hey, you. Make sure that you subject yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, meaning that the Lord is superior and He's the priority. And because of that, you are to then be subject to the lay of the Lamb. Therefore, we're to realize that we don't have to be too pessimistic, because even in this world, God is somehow working. Even in this divisive time, somehow God is going to work. Meaning that God works to restrain sin, even through local government, and so, do you know what you should probably do? Do some research and vote, especially in the local elections. Our current age is really clear about what it is against, but we're never really for anything. Pessimism looks like, ah, you know, never Trump. Or pessimism looks like, I could never vote for that party. Or pessimism is always cynical about everyone else. Pessimism also looks like Bruce Springsteen, the boss, saying if Donald Trump gets elected, I'm moving to all
0: three.
1: You know, you're the boss. Dude, I don't care where you move. You can do anything you want, okay? You're Bruce freaking Springsteen. Just go ahead and move already. You don't need to tell us on Twitter. You're just being cynical, okay? It isn't that bad. And what we need to realize that even if God can work through this ruler like the Roman emperor, who is this time wants to blame everything wrong in the world on Christians... Peter is saying, live in submission to Him. What does that mean? It means that God can work through people like Donald Trump. It means that God can work through even Joe Biden. And so what do we do? We pray for both. Because Jesus is the true sovereign, He's still in charge. And somehow, he's going to work out his purposes, no matter who's in office. His purpose is for America. And we don't have to be too pessimistic, because ultimately, our faith as Christians isn't tied to the fate of America. We're pilgrims, sojourners, exiles, heading for a better country. And so if it's going down. It isn't shining brass on a sinking ship. You know what we're doing? We're caring for people. Preparing, preparing them for a better world. We're doing good deeds. We're praying for others. We're showing up to, to our neighbor's houses. We're listening to people who are really hurt and scared and crying. We're showing up to work on time. I mean, some days you do need a mental health day, but Anyway. That's the, of the point. But someone might say, Vince, what about objective truth? There's got to be one vote that is better than the other. You know, and objectively, there's got to be a right vote. And here's my challenge. Find for me, in the Bible, where it says to vote one way or another. Knock yourself out. Here's the problem with that. They're like, oh, this is objectively better. Here's the problem. You and I are never truly objective. You and I are all subject to the one true object, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the triune God in whom all truth is held together, and that He is the one who holds it all together. And so you and I, we're just subjects. So here's the deal. So if you're if someone was to say, hey, here's the objective truth, you know what you need to say? Like, your truth? Because that's the comeback. The problem is you and I are all subjects dealing with this. Uh, this is a fancy term in philosophy known as the uh, object-subject-knower problem. It's really weird. Um, that's nerdy, too. You don't need to know that. Anyway. But it's always subjects that are dealing with it here. And so what happens is, we need to realize that that you are to vote. And you are to make a decision based on what you think is going to be good for the good of the world. Talk with friends. Go to a pub. Chat about it. I just made an application to go to a pub at church. That's blowing my mind. Anyway, go to the library. Talk about it. And so, what will end up happening is maybe you can have a discussion and you can find out within the community what is a good and wise vote. You see, and what you might come to is, especially if you're discussing with someone who disagrees with you, you might find out that your neighbor can vote Democrat but still repudiate the wickedness and practices of things such as abortion. But they're deeply saddened over it. it. Breaks our heart. And they hope for a world and they can imagine living in a world where it isn't even imaginable that those things happen. Your neighbor, maybe they disagree with you and they can vote Republican. But yet they still believe that character matters knowing that you can't separate personality from policy. You can have deep discussions. But you can only do it if you're not too pessimistic and ready to just watch the play clean throw your ballot and just kind of Live in a lump in the back in the in the back room of your house, or playing Fortnite too much in the garage or something. Don't do that, okay? But rather, what are we to do? In First Thessalonians four, Paul talks about tells the people that they are to seek to live or strive to live a quiet life. Not to live bombastically about the world and everything in it. God is going to cause all things to burn up, and we're all going to be out of here in like 15 days. Paul is saying, nuh-uh. No, you get to work. You show up on time. Live a quiet life. Disciple your kids. Keep doing the things that you're meant to do. Those are the type of people that you're supposed to be. Be good people. And so, during this national election, I want you to ask yourself this. How much does voting for president actually affect your life in the day-to-day? Honestly, honestly, you're more impacted by local elections, by local things happening here. And so, yes, a national election may cause you to have anxiety, may cause your blood pressure to go up, but in actual life... What does it actually do? Not much. And so do you know what you ought to do? You ought to spend time volunteering and caring for people. Show up to local agencies. Spend time there. If, you're, if pro-life things is what you're about, show up at a pro-life agency and volunteer. Give your time, money, talents, efforts to those places. Show up at local health clinics. Figure out ways to care for people. Go up at the local women's shelter. Volunteer to tutor at a school. Do those things. And what you are going to be show is that you are a people, a people of hope, knowing that this world isn't just going to be washed away someday, and we can just say, oh, well, who cares? That isn't the way it is to be. We're to be people who are realistic. We vote for the sake of doing good. God's people exist to be like the tree, planted and rooted, giving shade and fruit to the world. You want to come here? Okay. okay. So, while living like sojourners and aliens, we're pilgrims headed for a better country. In this way, you will find yourself not being too elevated or high and excited about the world on November 4th, after November 4th. But, or during November 3rd when people are voting. Or, you will not also find yourself, and you're not too low on November 4th, knowing that the election isn't ultimate. And so that over the next four years, it isn't going to be too gray or too, too uh, depressing for you. Yeah, not too. T-O-O. That means also. Yeah. <laughs> Abstain from, so, so what are we to do? What does realistic life look like? It means abstaining from worldly passions. I mean. Fighting the way the world fights. It says to keep your conduct honorable amongst people. That means treat them with dignity, kindness, mercy. That means listen to them thoroughly. And it says to be subject to the governing uh uh government. That means the government. That means that those are the people like in charge of us. So like police and yes, people. Yes, they're people, that's right. And so, do good. And he says then to live as free, not under obligation of moralism, but in service. In service to others. And so you're to honor everybody. Uh Uh-huh. And so, ultimately though, why? Because we're to fear God, then honor the emperor. It means that the priority of worship, fear in that context, means not to be a afraid of, but to reverence, because he's the one who should truly make you quake in your boots and quiver, not the emperor, not the emperor. So, you want to go back to your bedroom? Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye, Judah. Hey, I, I I baptized him. You can come up here. And so... And so what does this look like? We are to fear God. And so ultimately, during this time, we are to be people who bear fruit and are to be holy as God is holy, doing things His way, by giving away power. But to be a good citizen, you need to be realistic, knowing that voting for president is an ultimate, but your but election in Christ is the ultimate. Therefore, you live filled with compassion and love for others. To be a good citizen you need to know that the state doesn't deserve your ultimate allegiance, but they can get it because of your fear of God. But to be a good citizen to be a good citizen, you don't need to use the weapons of the culture war because the weapons we need are prayer, sacrifice, and unbounded love even for our enemies. To be a good citizen, you can't you can't be too optimistic, nor can you be too pessimistic because both political parties are passing. To be a good citizen, you don't have to be too pessimistic or optimistic because you know that good works, God works through government. In the end, it isn't about who you vote for or who you vote against, but it's about who you worship. And who you worship will shape how you interact with others in this world. And it will shape who you vote for. And how you go to the ballot box. And how you virtue signal with the I voted on your social media. It's okay, I do it too. Okay? But how do we interact with people? And what we show is that we are sojourners and exiles passing through this world as pilgrims headed to a better world. And so we do that in our lives every day in little simple ways nothing extravagant, nothing necessarily big. We fear God. We honor the government. Because Jesus was the only one who truly made himself subject to the will of the state. Because of optimism of some who confused religion with the state, they ended up turning them over. And in the mystery of the crucifixion, that redemption that we needed was paid. He paid the price of, the, of those who were too optimistic about the state, but he also paid the price for those who were too pessimistic and who abandoned him as a failed state ruler. He did it by dying at the hands of the state. Jesus really died for you, really rose again, so you don't have to live for illusory power. You don't have to maintain it, but you can enjoy the reality of the kingdom coming by giving away Almighty and gracious God, meet us now in Your meal, Your supper, that our faith would be nourished, that we may be people strengthened for the pilgrimage of Your world and Your kingdom coming, that we may not confuse government with Your kingdom. Lord, be with us.
0: Feed us now.
1: In Christ's name, amen.